good morning. Welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHH-FM, your home for community radio. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Lauren Canalori, Jennifer Wells-Jackson, and Robin Sweet make New Haven tick, and they make us read. They're... They are mentors in the school system, I guess. Literary coaches, is that the right word? Yes. All right. So they do God's work here in the public schools. And they are also up to a great annual event they're helping to make happen on February 1st called Read Aloud Day in New Haven. They're here in the WNHC studio. Tell us about it and how we can play a part. And to update us on efforts to make New Haven the city that reads. A special thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Welcome to the studio, everyone. I just want to uh, raise my chair. Sorry, I forgot to do that. Okay. Welcome to the studio. <laughs> How are things going? Great. Everything is great. So now you work at any one school, the three of you, or you um you float? So I work, uh, Jennifer Wells Jackson, I work at Bishop Woods Architecture and Design in New Haven. Wait, the Magnet School has Architecture and Design in its name? Yes. I it's never amazing. knew that. amazing. We just recently became a Magnet School. And it's with architecture and design. That's neat. It is awesome. I'd love to know more about that someday. Oh, yes, absolutely. So now your job there is to help kids read? Yes, it is. It's to, um, when I explain exactly what I do as a literacy instructional coach, I often say I teach teachers how to teach reading. um, And I have uh, other ways of working with groups and students to support them with their reading endeavors. So you work with both teachers and, and with students. students. Yes. Okay. And then uh, Jennifer and Robin, are you at a particular school or you float? I'm Jennifer. That's oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 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 Robin and Lauren. I'm Robin. Yes. Wait, I am at and look, I'm going to ask you to get real close to the mic. I'm at Quinnipiac STEM school, which is mm-hmm. another magnet school where we focus on science, technology, engineering, and math. And I'm the literacy coach. And I also, um, teach teachers how to teach reading and writing and work with children. Similar well. to what Jennifer does. Exactly but at what Quinnipiac. Jennifer does. We are so part of the days you'll be with like, so will part of the day you'll be with sick kids in a corner of a room or in a lounge and helping them read a book together and sound out words. Another part of the day you'll be alone with some teachers about ideas about teaching. Is that how it works? Well, we coach, we go in and model lessons, share, you know, best practices and, and then we work with the teachers to see them carry those out, look at data, a lot of data-driven meetings. Mm-hmm. And I want to get back to that later in the show, I know. Yeah. I want to know about that with data and reading. It's very interesting, because I know there's been this effort for a few years now under Lynn Brantley to, um, yes. to really show that we're teaching kids how to read and find out what way to teach them when they're not getting there. But we are going to first talk about Read Aloud Day, but I just want to find out from Lauren, are you stationed at one place, or what's your deal? So I am at the reading department, so I don't have a home school. Um, my homeschool was Fairhaven for a little bit, uh-huh. and then um, I joined the actual department when Lynn Brantley became supervisor, so I work very closely with her, um, looking at curriculum, revising it based on the needs of the district. Are you kind of the coach of the coaches? Um, I would say I'm a, I'm a coach. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> She's a coach um, of the coaches. Mm-hmm. I think all of us are really teachers at heart, so even Absolutely. though we don't have a classroom or in my case, I don't have sort of a home-based school. Uh, I do think we are all teachers at heart and our ultimate job is to really get kids in New Haven to love to read and to be lifelong readers. And you have a, a interesting challenge because I always got the sense that the biggest influence on a kid that reads what happens at the kid's home early. So like mm-hmm. we grew up in a house where we're reading to our kid in the womb, 
and like you yeah. know reading books was the big activity day and night all the time they were young and i do you have to play catch up a little bit with kids who don't grow up that way jennifer is it yes we do but we try to inspire kids to love reading so it may be by giving them books that we love and being super excited about them so then they become super excited um in some areas just actually being that person that they can see as a mentor the arm around a kid while they're being, oh my gosh, you're so great. I love that about reading when your own kids and you're snuggling up. Mm-hmm. There's a little tricky at school, right? Because now people yes. are worried for <laughs> understandable reasons about creepy stuff that happens with kids, right. but are we losing that physical contact? Well, when you establish a, a relationship with your students at school, there's none of the fear of tricky business going on. It's Oh, yes, Miss Wells Jackson loves me. Hi, Miss Wells Jackson in the hallway. So with that being said, the kids are so open to it. And yes, there are kids who struggle. But as soon as it clicks for them, it's almost like you've opened their eyes to a world they had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. And one reason you're in the studio today on Dateline New Haven is that you have an event coming up. So you do this every day. It's- Lauren at the central office, Robin and Jennifer in the trenches in the schools. But you're all working together for the February 1st Read Aloud Day. Yes. It's a world event. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in New Haven, we've been doing it for a bunch of years now, right? How many I years? I think this is our third, third or fourth third year fourth. where we've okay. made it a really big event. So what's going to happen on February 1st? So um, every school sort of takes um, the World Read Aloud Day and makes it their own. Um so some schools have guest readers that come in. I remember and one, the Hill House basketball team yeah, last so year. Yeah, so actually, Robin, that happened team. at Quinnipiac. Yeah. And I know, yeah, she would love to talk about that because that was incredibly special. So um, one of the reasons we're here today is to uh, really call for community support. We would love to have readers from New Haven come in and read to our students on World Read Aloud Day. And what does that involve? Come in for an hour or... It can be, so the theme this year is read aloud, change the world. Mm -hmm. And so what we would love to have people do is bring in the book that sort of changed their world and Mm -hmm. share it with a class. A book that changed your world, or would it also be books about people who changed the world? Absolutely. So any significant book that people would love to share with a group of children, they can come in and read it and they can stay 20 minutes. They can stay half an hour. They can stay half a day if they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, We have sort of a point person at every school that we can probably link that list to the website if that's possible. Sure. So um, how, what is the best way for people to find out how to become a reader? So if we provide you with the contact list of every school, um, they can click on that link and then contact and we that can person put that directly. New Haven Independent. Absolutely. We'll awesome. about that. But if you're listening right now, is there a central place to get the info? Can they call you? Absolutely. So they can call the reading department directly. And what's the number? Um... <laughs> Or would you look up? What would you look up on Google? Um, they can actually go to the New Haven, uh, New Haven Public, Public Schools. Schools website, and they can get the reading department number right, directly. Work. Reading number that'll work. I'm sorry, we're so okay. all tied to our cell phones. Check, that check, so much happens. That's no, okay. Check <laughs> the independent tomorrow, and we'll yes. have a link to the whole thing. So, what's going to happen? So, in each school, every school in town, yes, people yes. are going to be reading out all grades. Yes, mostly the K eight schools. So. Right. Yes, but so, please be clear that high school is not excluded from this. Mm-hmm. We still believe in the importance of reading with our older children as well. 
Because if you notice, these kids get so much joy from being read to. And seeing the actual people in their classrooms, it really makes a difference. Now, is it all visitors everywhere? Is the idea you're bringing adults they don't know? Or tell me about that. Sometimes Robin. it's adults they don't know. Um, sometimes in the past, our school has has Skyped people, like relatives from other oh, parts of the world. Oh. We had a kindergarten teacher, had her family from Italy read. Um, by Skype. The, yeah, by Skype. How fun. On the smart board. It was fabulous. Uh, we've had authors Skype classrooms. Mm-hmm. We've had um, one teacher's husband is a principal. He dressed up as a character and he, he read to a class. Last what did he dress up as? The pizza maker? The pizza maker, yes. Yes. Thank you. A pizza chef. Pizza chef, yes. (laughs) Um, Then we had, last year we had um, the privilege of having the Hill House football state champs read to our children. And that was amazing. The whole football team came with the coach. And we provided, uh, through Lynn Brantley, she was wonderful about orchestrating this, provided each football player with a book as well as the classroom teacher. And the book was The Magic Hat by Malcolm Mitchell from the Patriots Mm -hmm. and shared his fabulous story about reading and teaching himself to read. So the children, the both football players and the students got so much inspiration from Mm -hmm. hearing these young guys read to them. And uh, the football players came back after we gave them a little coffee and after, and they were, they were walking on air. They, the kids made them feel so special and important, and they were so inspired to read more because of those children. And then our students, after hearing the football players read to them, were so excited to read and become great students, not just athletes, because they really um, push the fact that you need to learn to read to succeed. It's not just you know knowing a sport. That's not your whole life. You need to have um, a great reading foundation to be successful. And our young kids really walked away with a, a gift from that and a lot of reading inspiration. You're yep. hearing about reading on Dateline New Haven and WNHH-FM. You're home for Community Radio, 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. And we're together with Lauren Canalori. Yes. Jennifer Wells-Jackson and Robin Sweet from the public schools who do this every day. But they're one time a year, Read Aloud Day, which is February 1st this year. They're going to be doing it with the whole city and get everyone involved. So my understanding is that not only in every school do you have a special reading day and involve adults, but the day before, you're doing some kind of paper chain on the green. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, our plans have slightly changed because the weather is so unpredictable in New Haven in February. <laughs> so um, every school is creating a paper chain, which seems super simple. But uh, we really wanted a visual for how much reading is happening in New Haven. So every school is documenting every time a child reads, a link gets added to a chain. So it's every time I read a book. Every time you Curious read a book. George goes to the firehouse. I get Absolutely. A link the if your mom or dad reads you a book, if your older brother or sister reads you a book, if you read a book, we're, we're adding a link to that chain. So every school is going to have a chain. Every book is linked to the chain Absolutely. and every book links us to the chain of humanity. Absolutely. So our ultimate goal, because Rob and Jen and I, you know, we like to do things really big. We thought we're going to connect all the chains on the New Haven Green on February 1st so we can <laughs> visually show the city that we are a city that reads. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, because weather can be unpredictable, we are going to link chains. Um, so they start in classrooms. Then the classrooms are getting linked in the schools. Oh. So, and then 
the floors are getting linked. So I've been to some schools where the chains are actually going through the staircases mm -hmm. and heading up to the next floor to join the next classroom. And what day is that happening? That's happening. So the chains are actually being created as we speak. Right, and right then now. on World Read Aloud Day in each building, those chains, you know, some schools are going to wrap them around the gym. Some so it'll be are that morning in addition to the reading yes. activities. Yes, yes. Right. Celebrate absolutely. Reading. absolutely. So Jen Jennifer, how long you been doing this work? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so you're trying to date me. <laughs> um, so I've been a literacy instructional coach for, oh my goodness, almost 15 years. Uh, since you were 12. Right. I'll go for that one. Yeah. And I I was a teacher at Fairhaven and Helene Grant prior to um, becoming a literacy instructional coach. So 21 years. So I was in a transition. You're running a class and then you're focusing on reading. Why did you decide to, to specialize? So while I was at Fairhaven Middle School, I started to recognize that reading, there were so many components to reading that were, like a lot of my kids were missing the links. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that I had to do something about it. So I went and got my master's in reading at Southern. And then I decided at the time, um, Ema Canelli was the director, was our supervisor in the district for reading. And she was one of my professors. And she said, well, if you're going to do this, you might as well become a literacy instructional coach. And I said, oh, okay. And I also said, if people are experiencing some of the things that I experience in my class, what better way to help support them? I knew I was working, like, I remember staying at Fairhaven until like 10, 30, 11, and the custodian saying, okay, Jen, it's time to go. Mm -hmm. yeah. wow. And walk me out to my car because I would be thinking of ideas. There wasn't wow. the, the vastness of the internet at that time. So I didn't have the internet to turn to to kind of get ideas. So you sat there and tried to gain more ideas and what I could do and how I could do it for kids to be better readers and writers. So you saw this gap that need to be addressed it did. in your own life. What had reading made a difference when you were growing up? Can you remember? Oh God. Tell me about that. I could say that I didn't know um, that reading, I am a native New Havener and I could, I, I remember being in second grade and being afraid I remember going home and talking to my mom and saying, Mommy, I'm scared. And she said, well, what's wrong? She's, I said, every single time I read, I start to get these pictures in my head. <laughs> and I think something's wrong with me. And she said, babe, that's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, okay, cool. And that's when I made the connection that reading wasn't just word calling. It was the creation of pictures in your head wow. and seeing things and reading. You remember Excuse a book me. that had a huge impact on you? So the really fun, funny thing is I think that the book that had the hugest impact on me was when I got to college. And um, I went to Norfolk State University. It's an HBCU in Virginia. And one of the authors that I really loved was James Baldwin. I just watched the other night. My wife and I watched um, I'm Not Your Negro. Oh, my gosh. I love that. 
So great to watch him speak. It was. He's After so having read amazing. Him, I heard him speak, the passion. I loved Fire Next <clears throat> Time, but then I went into reading Going to Meet the Man. I don't know and that I've, book. What's that oh, about? Oh my goodness! There, it's it's a plethora of short stories about various activities growing up as an African American in various places within their lives, and and and. The first story actually in this book was my favorite, The Rock Pile. And Would you like to read us an excerpt from that? Oh, sure. Okay, The so, Rock Pile from James Baldwin, a, a, book, a, a story that had a real impact on Jennifer Wells Jackson when she was in college. And then when she came back home to New Haven, decided she was going to spread the joy of reading mm-hmm. to younger generations. Well, before, I'm sorry, Paul, I just wanted to say that before James Baldwin really came into my love of life, um, I remember reading um, the, the piece um, from Plato's Allegory in the Cave, and that made the largest impact on me because with Plato's Allegory in the Cave, it speaks about people being in a cave and looking at these shadows on the wall and believing that these shadows With were reality. reality yeah. And then, you know, maybe every now and again, someone would escape and then try to come back into the, and like, this is not reality. Come on and try to bring them out. And no one wanted to do that. And then one person, they might get someone out and, and they would see that it was a reality. And I recognized while at Norfolk state university, I recognized that it was me. That was exactly the life that I was living. I grew up on Truman Street in New Haven, which wasn't one of the better places in the Hill section, but it was great for me. I remember feeling like I was looking at the images on the wall as a Truman Street girl. And I remember saying to myself, oh, shucks. Am I ever going to get out of this? For me, looking at those images, I thought teen pregnancy, HIV, AIDS, all kinds of drugs, all kinds of things that confronted me. That was my reality. But I broke away and I ran out of the cave, so to speak. And I went to college and I gained knowledge. And it said to me, Okay, you have to go back and give back to your community. I remember John Daniels at the time was the mayor, and he said at our graduation from my graduation from Wilbur Cross, when you go away, remember to come back. So I decided to come back to New Haven. What a story. It, and then I said, okay, I'm going to run into this cave and try to convince other Ooh. people that this is not your reality. Oh my goodness. That New Haven is not your how reality. Old, how old were you when you were reading the Plato's Cave? <laughs> I was what? A sophomore at Norfolk State University. So a sophomore. Because I also gym. read it in college. I struggled with the Plato. It was and, harder for me because the language to yes, really dive into it. I got yes. that point about shadows not being the reality, but I don't right. think I got deep into it. Yeah. And the thing about it was, I remember my professor looking at me like, wow, you got that? I said, <laughs> that's my reality. That's what I see. And those images on the wall don't have to define who you are. So as long as we start teaching kids reading and making sure that they become lifelong readers, they can recognize that those images that are on the wall 
are not actually their destiny. And you can put your own pictures in your head when you're reading. Absolutely. Like you did when you were a girl. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back full circle. Right. So so it's just, I mean, it's just amazing. And I just love, um, I'm sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent. I'm this is great. But I love James Baldwin because he speaks truth. And just like you said, you saw him the other day um, on that I'm Not Your Negro. And he was, it was such a poignant piece in my life. And I've continued to live my life through that whole perception of allegory in the cave and making sure that I can address children and pull children out of the cave so that they will one day recognize, listen, this doesn't have to be my reality. Teen pregnancy, drug abuse, HIV, AIDS, all of these terrible things that plague our city doesn't have to be me. I can escape. There's such a world out there to see and be a part of. And books really are that's gateway to that world. Yes, they right. are. Remember when yes, I was in college, are. it was the one that really had impacts me were Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man. Oh, yes. And um Arthur Kessler, Darkness at Noon. Oh. And um Richard Wright, um but but not Native Son. It was the one of American Hunger about being black in the Communist Party. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And how amazing they were. And even the fact that you still know my, that. I saw my own world in New Haven yeah. in a different time, differently because of what I read in those books. Right. And seeing through. You know, and it Kant. made you the man that you are today. It did make me a different person. But and that's the awesome piece Where I am right it. now is I'm on Dateline New Haven at WNHXFM. <laughs> Community Radio, 103.5. And I'm having a great time with Jennifer Wells, Jackson, Robin Sweet, Lauren Canalori, who are gearing up. They're, they're full-time reading people in New Haven, getting kids to learn how to read. They're gearing up for Read Aloud Day, February 1st, in which you can play a part by going to a New Haven school and reading a book and joining the celebration. Please, and, please, And we're going to get a little taste of it now because Jennifer is going to read for us from which story again by James Baldwin? Okay, or I can read a children's book or I can read James Baldwin's I don't think we'd read the whole story in James okay. Baldwin. Would you like an excerpt there or would you read yes. the children? Okay, which, which essay is it? Oh, this it's a short story. the Rock Pile. Okay. Across the street from their house, in an empty lot between two houses, stood the Rock Pile. It was a strange place to find a mass of natural rock jolting out from the ground. And someone, probably Aunt Florence, had once told me that the rock, was there and couldn't be taken away because without the subway cars, underground would fall apart, <laughs> killing all the people. This touching what this touching on some natural mystery concerning the surface and the center of the earth was far too intriguing an explanation to be challenged, and it invested the rock pile. Moreover, with such mysterious importance that the rock pile and Roy felt it to be right. I'm sorry. And Roy felt it to be his right, not only to say his duty to play there. Other boys were seen there afternoon after school and all day on Saturday and Sunday. They fought on the rock pile, sure-footed, dangerous and recklessness. They rushed over to each other and grappled in the heights, sometimes disappearing down the other side in a confusion of dust and screams and unpending flying feet. 
It is a wonder they don't kill themselves, their mother said. Watching sometimes from the fire escape, you children, stay away from there. You hear me? Thought she would think and say, children! She was looking right at Roy when he sat behind John on the fire escape. The good Lord knows, she continued, I don't want you to come home bleeding like a hog every day the Lord sends. Roy shifted impatiently and continued to stare at the street as though in a gaze he might somehow acquire wings. John said nothing. He had not really been spoken to. He was afraid of the rock pile and all of the boys who played there. So I'll stop there. And, and it was just intriguing because that story reminded me, <clears throat> pardon me, it reminded me of all of the playing that occurred on Truman Street mm. with the mattresses that had been placed out and people would do the backflips. And my mom would tell me, and don't you go over there <laughs> and don't you go and jump on those mattresses. You don't know what's in those mattresses. Well... I might have sneaked over there and just to get a moment, but I wasn't as good as everyone else because they had so much practice. So this, that short story really reminded me of my experiences as a child. How fun. So Robin Sweet, you were telling us about some of the great activities that take place at Quinnipiac. Is there a book in your life that influenced you in the powerful ways we just heard from Jennifer? Yes. Um, I've been in the system for over 25 years, I've taught first grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade. And when I was a fifth grade teacher, I worked with, I was always at Conti West Hills as a teacher before a coach. And I worked with the more fragile readers in fifth grade. And one year I had this lovely little girl, Molly, who struggled um, with reading. And we worked very hard with her and her and her family. And that's the key is when you have that triangle of success i like to call it mm -hmm. when you have the family the school and the child working together um you really can see a, a lot of growth and success in the student's education so i worked very closely with molly and her mom and she made great gains as a reader by the end of the year but she really really struggled and was very very sad most of the year and then they gifted me a book at the end of the year called thank you mr falker by patricia polacco and wrote a lovely note inside thanking me for all my hard work and dedication and making Molly's year so successful. Um, this book really touched me as a teacher because it spoke, the author, Patricia Polacco, writes from personal experiences, and she was a struggling reader. Mm -hmm. And so this oh, talks that's about... Interesting. Yeah, the okay. talk, and she was... A little meta. You know, so you going to read, you want to read the book? I will read... Tell us again the name. Thank you, Mr. Falker by Patricia right. Polacco. All right, and that's Robin Sweet from Quinnipiac Avenue School is going <laughs> to. But Mr. Falker caught her arm and sank into his knees in front of her. You poor baby, he said. You think you're dumb, don't you? How awful for you to be so lonely and afraid. She sobbed. But little one, don't you understand? You don't see letters or numbers the way other people do. And you've gotten through school all this time and fooled many, many, many good teachers. He smiled at her. That took cunning and smartness and such, such bravery. Then he stood up and finished washing the board. We're going to change all that. 
you are going to read. I promise you that. And I share this book with um, my middle school students as a coach that don't like reading or feel they can't read. And I have lunch bunches with them just to pull them in and make it a non-academic experience. But we always slip in reading to try and grow that love for reading. <laughs> and I always share this book with them. And they, you know, I tell them, I know it's hard for you, but I'm going to help you. And with that confidence building or that support, that, that's just so important. I know the skills are important as well. But first we need to get their trust and build their confidence before they can be successful. And picking this book is interesting because I assume, tell me if I'm wrong, that you're trying to reach, as you said, the kid who's having trouble reading and have that kid see herself in the character in the book. Right. So you're hearing a story about another person. Hey, that's me. Correct. Make that That person can't read and then you find out they can. So you want to plant the idea in the child's brain that that story is going to be her story. And especially since the author, this was their, you know, this is a true story about the author's life as a child. And look at how successful this woman has become. We all have our gifts. Maybe reading isn't your gift. It's not the easiest thing for you to do, but you have other strengths that we can build upon and help you become a good reader and therefore successful in life. Because if we can't read, we can't succeed. Now, um, Lauren, if you could tell us citywide, a few years ago, Mayor Tony Harp created a commission. She did, yes. About how we're going to get reading better, reading rates up. The goal was to have every child be reading at grade level in New Haven, which is quite an ambitious mm-hmm. goal. We're going to look at best practices. As Jennifer alluded to earlier in the show, you're going to start creating more data and tracking that to see where they're learning, where they're not. What are we finding a few years into this experiment? Are kids reading at grade level in New Haven? So I don't think any of us will ever be satisfied until all of our New Haven children are reading at grade level. Um, And so that is always our ultimate goal. And our department works tirelessly to uh, try to figure out where every child is and what they need. And so at every school, I can confidently say that we are talking about children on an individual basis. But like and, overall, what does the data say citywide? What percentage of kids are reading at grade level? You know, we, we hover around like the 60% mark. For the whole system? Yes. And was that yes. what it was a few years ago? Um, we've seen some steady growth, but um, mm-hmm. it's always sort of hovered mm-hmm. around that between mm-hmm. 50 and 60% mark. Yes, yeah. yes. And, in, and obviously in different schools, it looks a little different. Um, but overall, that's sort of where we, st- where we are. And of course, we want 100% of our kids to be on grade level reading. Right. And um, So what has happened since this commission? What things are you doing differently or new? So we've definitely taken a hard look at our curriculum. Um, this year, we've really looked at our 3-5 curriculum to make sure that mm-hmm. we are addressing the reading strategies that are appropriate for that grade level. Why that grade level? Um. So K, so three five was sort of where we needed to. Uh, it we were you, had. Were you watching slippage at that point? Yeah, and that's where the smarter balance test starts. You know, they start taking that test in third grade. We had done a curriculum review of K two and had we we brought in uh, a new phonics program a couple mm-hmm. years ago. So schools got to choose between two programs. So. We really wanted to continue our focus in K2 around the implementation of the, this phonics program. Um, and we didn't want to give the K2 teacher sort of something else to mm-hmm. 
uh, have to so you tackle. Started the K two, which makes sense. The earliest, yep, and now yep. you're moving up to three five. Absolutely, curriculum. yes. And what kind of data are you collecting that you didn't before, or what kind of data are you analyzing in new ways that you? Yes, so we have so much data. I I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> but, what do we, but what do we do with it? Give me an example yes. of a data point that had you make a decision. Yeah. So I mean, one of our most significant data points, which uh, resulted in us really seeing that we needed to bring in a, a foundational reading program, like a phonics, a explicit phonics program, was because we were looking at all of our kids who were being brought up in schools as having, as being struggling, you know? So based on running records that the teachers were given, based on data from intervention groups, the trend really was, wow, our kids don't have these sort of foundational reading skills. Um, and that, you know, when we looked at the percentage district-wide, that was the number one reason why we felt kids were really not progressing in K2. So we decided as a department, we really need to bring in sort of an explicit phonics program. Um, and that was part of the commission. Um, and so the we brought in foundation, some schools adopted foundation, some schools adopted words their way. We gave some schools some choice because every school in New Haven has its own climate, its own culture. Um, and then the past, so this is, you know, year two of implementation and we have really tried to support teachers in implementing those programs and we have seen you know so we some of our state testing that we report to the state um we have seen some growth and we believe it's because we've introduced this sort of explicit program in k2 but we are a reading and writing workshop district that is what the heart of our district is and reading and writing workshop really is about kids loving to read and giving them books at their level that they're able to sort of read independently. And there are agencies that give donate a lot of books. And Absolutely. Other, their read to Grow, it's called. New Haven read Reads, grow. yes. Mm-hmm. All right. And so uh, Saturday Academy, is that still going? That was supposed to be a reading in yep. math. Yes. Saturday Academy Clemente, is still Wexler happening. Wexler Grant for Haven. Yes. Okay. Do either of you teach at that? or We do not. No. One of the things that I did like this past summer was I knew that I wouldn't be allowed, well, be around to really take on summer school completely because of various things I had to do in the summer. So I went and I volunteered over at Troop because they are amazing, amazing babies. So I will say I call even the big kids, my babies um, because they belong to me. All of the kids in New Haven, Maybe I didn't give birth to them. <laughs> I have two of my own, um, Nia and Naomi, but the kids in New Haven belong to me. Those those are my kids. So if instruction is not good enough, and we were talking about this on the ride over, if instruction is not good enough for Nia or Naomi, guess what? It's not good enough for these kids. So that's why we drive and push ourselves to do the absolute best and why we beat ourselves beat ourselves up at night if we're like oh man I could have done this and I could have done that that self-reflection piece to and supporting teachers trying to make sure that they are providing the best instruction and reading for the students that sit before them any um any books you folks read lately in your own lives that had an impact on you yes so um Mine is the new Jim Crow. Uh-huh. So Michelle see, Alexander, I, yeah. You see, I read a lot of the... You read nonfiction. <laughs> I love it. So I read only novels. 
Oh, I'm so much the news oh. that I just novels keep me going. They keep me yeah. alive. Yeah. So I try to go back and forth. Um, so I sort of have like this routine. I read sort of a, a novel. I'm a novel person too. So my um, different than Jen and Robin, I'm not from Connecticut. I grew up in upstate New York and my mom is the most avid reader. I think anyone would ever meet. So when they come to surprise, you came in. Yes. And so my (laughs) fondest memories, and I think why I am a reader are because of my mom laying down with me at night and reading to me. Mm -hmm. I can name off all the, we read all the little house on the prairie series. Um, And so every time my parents come to visit, my mother literally brings me four bags of books. And I'll say to her, my girls in their twenties, doing one late twenties, they still come back and read Harry Potter aloud with my wife. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So I often say to my mom, "Tell me the five that are must reads because I cannot Uh, possibly read all these books." And she'll say, "Nope, you have to read all of them." So I usually cycle through (laughs) a mom recommended book. Um, I'm sure, like Robin and Jen, there's always some professional reading that we're doing, Mm -hmm. and I also. Um, will admit on the radio right now that I love to read like teen young adult books. Yeah, there, there are some great young adult are. books being done. My my daughter's a teacher. And yes. She showed me one recently. I wish I could remember the name about a Native American boy wrestling with a situation, sexuality and getting off the reservation, which is kind of big in the young adult crowd. Is yeah. it um, the Absolutely True Diary? Yeah, of the, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, no, that's that a phenomenal would, book. That, that moved me. That's a much, mm-hmm. must read book for anyone's life. Yeah. yeah. I have a 13 year old at home and he's a reluctant reader. So I often try to read books and then pass them on to him. Um, Robin, anything you've been reading? I like Jodi Picoult. I noticed yes. she was in New Haven. Oh, yeah. I didn't my know daughter that. sent me an Instagram. We don't know why she oh. was here, but. Um, I it gets right in the mic here. I'm sorry. And uh, I get a lot of my titles from my daughter. She's a teacher also. Oh, yeah. Where's yep. she? Teacher in West Haven. All right. Third grade. Family tradition here. Yes. And we do a <laughs> lot of uh, professional reading. We have a book club going on now with the literacy department. Oh, wonderful. And also at my school, our principal, Grace Nathman, um, always gives us a book for professional reading periodically throughout the year. And is it so, books about education? Yes, about instructional practices, mindfulness. We do a lot of reading. And, and you know, you keep saying books, books, books. How do you feel about the emergence of ebooks and online reading? Mm-hmm. Tell me about uh, that. You know, you see, your face is my expression, yeah. how I feel. But <laughs> I wonder if I can justify like it. it because, like, I do not want to, I've never read a book electronically. Me neither. For me, the whole beauty and the joy and the soulfulness of it is holding it. But is that just us being old fogies? I think it is. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, well. Because the Saturday academies but, are big on the tape. Yeah. But the thing about but it, you don't like, cuddle with electronics. Right. And my daughter, who is an avid reader, eighth grader at Davis Street School, Nia will, it's so ingrained in her to love this reading. She has a love for reading. And like, we had to stop checking books out of the New Haven Public Library because she reads with them at dinner. And she like, is this ferocious reader oh oh i gotta see and so whatever food we're eating (laughs) goes on to those books pardon me and with that it's like nia we're gonna owe these people money so oh we have like gosh so many books in our house she's like well i'll just read mine but she's loving the thea the thea stimson books right now and they are so, she loves them so much. And I'm interested in the research that's going to come out. Her brains react differently with electronic reading, the book, you know, the hardcover book or, you know, the physical books. I think our generation, we're always going to want the hardcover. 
But I'm not sure we're going to be proved right or wrong. I don't know if it's a right or wrong. I think it might just be a different process. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm happy if kids are reading. So if their preference is on a screen. um, That motivates them. What's what's telling me that they can go deeper and have those pictures that Jennifer was talking about when you're reading? Something's telling me you get those pictures more with the physical book, but I don't know why that would be. I think it's like the tap, maybe the the actual holding of the book, the way the paper feels. I mean, I have never read attention a book electronically. Span? Yes. Electronics, we don't have attention span. Yeah. I am intrigued, though, by podcasts lately. Oh, I've been loving podcasts. I, That's like reading a book. Yes. And so. Because they do the deep storytelling and the deep reporting that you don't get it quick, quick, quick. And you do have to make the pictures in yeah. your head. So. It's like old fashioned. Yeah. Radio. So I am, I have been talking to some teachers particularly in the older grades, you know, because we're always trying to engage those older kids and those older readers about, you know, how great would it be if we paired this podcast with this book and... Right, like Serial. That became apps, oh my God, amazing, tool. yes. Yeah. I actually didn't like Serial as much. I'm in love with podcasts and Serial wasn't one of mine. I don't know. If it, yeah, I didn't listen to that one, but yeah. there are some just amazing ones out there that, you know, are, are kid-friendly, mm-hmm. that, you know, really promote that higher level thinking, so... I want to tell you how... Please, I am that the three of you made time in your day to come into the studio today, WNHH. And I want to urge everyone listening to help Jennifer Wells Jackson, Robin Sweet, and Lauren Canalori make this the best read aloud day we've ever seen, not just in New Haven, but where they're going to do it all over the world. February 1st. Yes. They're going to have a lot of fun activities like chains, but they need grownups in New Haven. Yes. To come and take 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour out of your day on February 1st. Come read a book to a public or a story to a public school classroom. We're going to ask you for now to go to the New Haven Public Schools website and go to the reading department. Yes. You will see contact information there. And check the New Haven Independence starting, say, Thursday. We'll have a, a notice up there about how you, you can more directly arrange to come. Or if you just know anyone at a school, say, I'm coming by. Absolutely. Well, Warren and Jennifer and Robin, thanks for coming by. Thank you. Thank Paul. you so much for having us. I just loved hearing your stories and want to thank you on the Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Mm. Now, we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book your flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.